Latest data shows that nearly 10.2 million Americans today consider themselves digital nomads, people who travel and explore while working. And that number is only expected to go up. In fact, when COVID started to wreak havoc in 2020, the number of digital nomads in the U.S. increased by nearly 50% from 2019. In the case of full-time RVers Peter and Allison Barr, they started making plans for a five-year journey around the United States long before the COVID crisis. Drawing on years of extended summer excursions, spring breaks, and vacations, Peter and Allison yearned for an opportunity to explore and create meaningful and lasting shared experiences together. In this episode, I catch up with Peter, and we talk about what led them to this lifestyle, some of the places they've traveled over the last year and a half, and where they're headed next. And he shares insight as to how they make this dream that so many have a reality. If there's one thing that the pandemic has revealed, it's that people truly crave connection, beauty, a desire to travel, and a new way of looking at work-life balance. Remote work has made it a lot easier to adopt a digital nomadic lifestyle, and some experts say that in the next two to three years, 24 million Americans plan to become digital nomads. If you're interested in adopting this lifestyle as a part-time or full-time endeavor, or you're just intrigued by this lifestyle and it's always been a dream, you're going to enjoy Peter and Allison's intentional and thoughtful approach to making this dream a reality. You're listening to Exploration Local, a podcast designed to explore and celebrate the people and places that make the Blue Ridge and Southern Appalachian Mountains special and unique. My name is Mike Andrus, the host of Exploration Local. Join us on our journey to explore these mountains and discover how they fuel a spirit of adventure. We encourage you to wander far, but explore local. Let's go. Peter Barr is our guest today. Our regular listeners, they're going to remember Peter from episode 41, where we talked about his book, Exploring North Carolina's Lookout Towers. And we talked a little bit in that episode about Peter coming back on the show to talk about trail design, his work in the Hickory Nut Gorge area, and his life in an RV, traveling the United States in an RV. So today we get to make that happen. Peter, welcome back, brother. It is so good to have you back on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to talk about this topic because it's the primary focus of my life right now, which is adventuring across the country. This is something that you've been planning. I remember from our last conversation, you've been planning this for a little bit. So let's talk about really kind of what put you out there. What made you want to say, hey, I'm going to do this, not just talk about it, but do it. And then let's talk a little bit about the setup that you're traveling in, Peter. You're absolutely right, Mike. This is something that my wife, Allison, and I planned for and prepared for for a really long time. And kind of how we got started with this is we, for about a decade, so you know, a good nine or ten years, every summer we would take a really epic road trip somewhere in the country. Uh, sometimes I'd be out west, sometimes it'd be a circumnavigation of the Great Lakes, sometimes to New England and Canada. And gosh, we just absolutely love those trips. And we would basically spend our next year looking forward, planning and looking forward to the next one. And we were really, really fortunate. Um, my wife, Allison, taught school. And so she had summers off. And then she also had a, a, a two weeks at Christmas and usually a week in the spring, depending on how many snow days 
cut into that. And so as it turns out, we, we never took it for granted, but we were really fortunate. And I was able to work with the organization that employed me to kind of bank up the time worked. And we took about seven weeks of adventures a year. So usually a month at summer and two weeks at Christmas and a, and a week in spring. And then, of course, we're, we were still weekend warriors uh, as, as often as possible. And all of that was really, really fulfilling and really impactful because we always felt like we were living for the next adventure. Everything was preparing for the next adventure, looking forward and being motivated by the next adventure. And we would often plan our next trips literally on the drive home from one adventure. We'd be driving home after a month out west on one road trip and we'd we'd be start planning what we're going to do the next year and and sometimes even years beyond that. So that we never took it for granted that we we had more time and the ability to adventure more than most people do. But the great irony to it is despite that plethora of opportunity relatively speaking it for us it, it just it was never enough and we decided ultimately that you know we can't visit every place we want to see and have all the experiences we want to have in all those places in our lifetimes. Like there's just no way, but if we want to come close to, to that satisfaction, we need to think about doing it more seriously and making it a greater priority in our lives. And I think the, the, the impetus for it was a trip out West one summer um, we took a month and went out to Yellowstone National Park and spent about three weeks in there. And then we spent a week in Grand Teton National Park and we um, had been preparing and we really like projects, really like kind of picking something that might be a little bit of out of our comfort zone and, and learning a new skill and preparing for it. And we spent about seven or eight months um, learning how to rock climb and ultimately it led to an adventure where we climbed to the summit of the grand teton um, out in wyoming and so we had this amazing time in yellowstone explored extreme backcountry with grizzly bears and bison and then we were standing on top of the summit of grand teton and that was incredible right and we were fulfilled by it but on the way home we're, we were just thinking to ourselves that gosh, I, we feel like we scratched the surface in both of those places. Mm. Despite all of those amazing experiences, like we need way more time. We, we, we really felt like despite that amount of time, we just blew through it all and just was breezing past um, so many uh, exciting places, so many meaningful experiences. And I think that's what planted the seed for us. Uh, once we got back home and, and started working again, it really stuck with us of of that we we need more time and we're yearning for more but at the same time both my wife Allison and I were really fulfilled by our career she taught elementary school um, at Mills River Elementary and loved her school loved her administration loved her fellow teachers adored the, the kids and I worked for the land trust conserving Carolina based out of Hendersonville and absolutely cherished my career developing trails in the Hickory Neck Gorge and so this was 
kind of a uh, quite a conundrum, right? We were yearning for more adventure and we were feeling this sense of not having enough time in in our lives to see it all and do it all like we we wanted to but we were really fulfilled at home and i think when a big life change comes it's easier to make when there's some significant catalyst whether that be trouble or 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 an end in a relationship or financial hardship or dissatisfaction with a career or something like that but that wasn't the case for us, which actually made the decision to, to pursue this even more challenging. So we talked about it for quite a few months, and it was actually Allison who suggested and pitched the idea to me initially. We had had some friends a few years prior do this. They were definitely the inspiration for this. Uh, Ching and Jared, who uh, Ching formerly worked at REI Asheville as the community outreach coordinator, they had, quote unquote, skipped town about by the time we hit the road four years prior and kind of really showed us that it was possible. Mm. Um, and over the years, we'd kind of make jokes whenever you do have a bad day at work, because no matter how much you love your job, you still have some bad days. And we would make the joke of, oh, we're, we're, that's it. We're going to go toaster. And that was a reference to Ching and Jared's uh, RV that they built out themselves. And it ended up being this silver looking just like a old fashioned kitchen toaster. <laughs> and they, they dubbed their RV the the toaster and so Allison and I would say that's it we're gonna go toaster and it and it turned into a running joke but then one day it wasn't a joke and we said you know what we're gonna do it and uh, that's what set us on our path we are big planners we are we're almost kind of shamefully responsible we wanted to make sure we had all the bases covered so financially and logistically and um, even things with our our careers and our home so we spent about two years from the point we made the decision to pursue a full-time lifestyle on the road in rv from when we set out or so when we decided to do it from when to when we actually set out on the road. So you have been on the road now for a little over a year, a year and a half or so? Yeah, about a year and a half. I think we're at 17 months now. So let's talk about where you've been, because I know when we've talked before, one of the ideas is to sort of circumnavigate the U.S., but it's also to circumnavigate assets out there too, areas out there. Let's talk a little bit about where you've been, man. Probably the most common question I that that we get is, uh, "Oh, uh, what's your favorite place, and and where are you going next?" And the the answer to both those questions is is everywhere because the when you go full time on the road, what we really decided to focus on is that when we go to particular places, that if if we can, and, and there's always various schedule constraints and responsibilities, but when we can, we really want to spend meaningful time in locations, which was in opposition to what we would do in the summer when we were just kind of blitzing from place to place and, and seeing the highlights, but not really getting to be in that very special location and uh, relax and soak it in. 
so there's so many places that we've been that are that have ultimately been really fulfilling to us and they they might not even have been the most amazing scenery or exciting destination um, but we spent time there and and really felt a connection to either the landscape or the the community or the local town but to answer your question kind of specifically we set out and we made a, a mistake really quickly and I think this is likely to happen when when you uh, are trying something new for the first time. And we drove all the way across, the, well, most of the way across the country in just two days' time. We oh, drove gosh. from Asheville, Asheville, North Carolina, to Denver, Colorado, where I have some friends who were willing to let us plant the RV in their driveway for a, a week or so. Um, and we did that in two days, and my wife and I had done that before in two days in a in a regular car truck. But we found that it was far more challenging in an RV. Like I was telling you earlier, it's uh, when you're driving an RV, it's such a bigger vehicle. It's wider. It's longer. There's so many more things to think about. You're you're kind of always on, so you're never able to just zone out and drive and let the hours and the miles pass by. It's it's intensive the whole time and it's not i don't think it's like flying a fighter jet but the point is you're not necessarily relaxing when you're when you're driving this so pulling 10 12 14 hour days across the country was proved challenging for us really really quickly and we we really made the decision at that point to 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 not do that ever again (laughs) and so we decided that we would only move from place to place at most two to three hours away a day worth of worth of driving and as it turned out while that was a conscious decision uh, we found that we could never go more than that amount of time and, and usually less without running into places, destinations, um, scenery that was was really, really interesting. So we went out to Colorado and spent the first month and a half in uh, actually first two months in Colorado. And we did a lot of um, climbing 14ers out there. I I had a a few that I already hiked, but managed to to get a about two thirds of them during that time period and hoping to finish up the, the 14ers later this year. Um, we then moved and in an RV, you, you, we found, we knew this ahead of time, but we definitely discovered that this absolutely was a thing. You have to travel with the weather a little bit. And mm-hmm. that's, that's mainly the, the change of seasons. The the RVs are not built to to be lived in full time, so they're not insulated very well. And despite our best efforts to to shore up the insulation, um, it's still a very uh, can be a very drafty and and chilly place. And we do have a, a, a propane furnace, which is just the absolute most amazing thing. But ideally, you will try not to be in very cold parts of the country when when winter comes. So we moved south and um, spent the next month and a half in southern Utah and explored a lot of uh, the desert southwest. Utah was the place that we had never explored uh, in before, and it was just uh, blew our minds. And I think maybe it's nearly impossible to pick a favorite place, but I, I think Utah might be it for me just because of its dynamic and stark landscape that contrasts to, to almost anywhere else. Yeah. Um, we then moved uh, down through Las Vegas. We spent Christmas and 
New Year's Eve in Las Vegas, Nevada, which was an odd place to spend Christmas, but uh, an exciting place to spend New Year's Eve. <laughs> <laughs> and so then, then we've moved further south and in January made it to Southern California. Um, in the San Diego area. And that was a kind of our first experience, a little bit Las Vegas, but our first experience kind of with some urban RVing and, and camping and, and boondocking. Okay. Then after uh, my wife's parents came and visited for about a week. And, and so that was extremely fulfilling to, to have, to, to see them and, and share in this adventure. Um, one downside to our lifestyle is that we are far from our friends and family so mm. that is something we definitely miss and we're yearning for that's back at home um, but when anybody comes and visits us on the road and actually uh, partakes in in the shared adventure it's it's just it it ticks all the boxes so we headed east then um, across the southern part of the country southern arizona right organ pipe national monument in tucson arizona to west Texas. Texas, where we then spent um, six weeks in the Big Bend National Park oh, area. did you? We absolutely adored that. We already knew that we liked that location. In fact, it's where we took our, what we call kind of our shakedown trip. We can talk a little bit about kind of setup with, we had a, a spent a lot of time and, and invested some money in solar panels and lithium batteries. Um, a few years or Earlier, we had taken a trip to Big Bend National Park to kind of test out all the systems, our, our shakedown trip, and, and we loved it. And so we returned there and spent a really meaningful amount of time in, in that area, a lot of it in the National Park and then in, in the surrounding part of it. And that was um, just absolutely spectacular. Um, Big Bend National Park has what's known as roadside backcountry camping. It's unreal. And which is great because this is, it's like as if a normal national park, you go and get a backcountry permit as if you're going to back backpack in. But in this case, you, you can actually drive in. And a lot of these locations involve four-wheel drive where you need four-wheel drive vehicles. And certainly the rangers looked at our RV and told us no way, no how. And, <laughs> and you know, I looked back at them and I said, okay, that's it. It's fine. We'll still take the permit. And generally, if you're if you know what you're doing and you're extremely careful, I mean, this is our home on wheels, right? So yeah. I'm not going to do anything to to risk it. But if you're extremely careful and you're willing to take a really long time to get somewhere, you can you can navigate some gnarly terrain in that. Particularly if it means you get to to stay at this spectacular location. I mean, we got an RV into the backcountry of the desert of Big Bend National Park and got to stay there for two weeks. I mean, that was that, that was worth a, a harrowing drive on, yeah, no on kidding. each end of it. Then we uh, shot across a Texas, spent a little bit of time on the Gulf Coast of Texas, and they have some beaches there where you can literally drive the RV right on the beach cool. and, and camp on the beach. So we backed up the RV to the ocean, and we had the the ocean view out our back window of the RV. Uh, which was which was a, a real treat for us, and my wife Allison is a big beach person, so that I think was really special to her. We then headed back to Asheville and came home to visit folks for uh, about a month and a half. That's when my book, Exploring North Carolina's Lookout Towers, came out. So I did a a few um, release events for that, and we saw lots of friends and family. Um, so that was kind of phase one of our journey, and then phase two. 
uh, we left last May and headed up. And this was more of a uh, Midwest and East Coast leg of our journey. So we headed up to the Washington, D.C. area, visited family there, did a number of, of really neat touristy things in Washington, D.C. I've always liked the city and the yeah. history yeah. and the landmarks. Um, and um, made our way up through kind of the Panhandle of Maryland and Pennsylvania, went to a, a baseball game and saw the Braves play the Pirates and, and somehow get just absolutely shellacked up there. <laughs> and a team that ended up winning the World Series got beat by 10 runs by the, the worst team in baseball. And, and that was the game we were there for. But, you know, that's just how it works out. Um, cut across the Midwest, uh, Ohio, Indiana, Chicago. Um, we actually spent a week in Chicago, uh, which ultimately we're very proud of because getting the RV uh, situated in an extremely urban area um, safely was it took a little bit of doing and took a little bit of feeling out, but we were able to be kind of tourists in the big city for about a week. And then shortly thereafter did the same thing in Milwaukee. We spent a good part of the summer, nearly two months in the upper, actually two full months in the upper peninsula of Michigan. I have a friend there who's got a small little cabin that he primarily uses as a, as a ski um, hut uh, in the winter, but he let us park there. And so that was an excellent base camp and the upper peninsula is somewhere where we had never visited before. And the UP has so many incredible waterfalls and special places like Apostle Islands National Lakeshore and Pictured Rocks National, National Lakeshore. Did you go up to Mackinac Island at all or up in that way? Uh, not quite, not quite. We, we, we just missed that. And that's kind of a great example of that. There's no matter where we go. And I mean, we spent a meaningful amount of time in that location, but yeah. we still didn't get everywhere. And there's still places kind of on the, the checklist of, of that we want to see. Um, we ultimately cut across Canada. We crossed over in Sault Ste. Marie and got yeah. to see the big ships go through the locks. The Canada border reopened the day before we passed through. And so we had to get our, our negative COVID tests and, and jump through all the hoops to go through Canada. So we cut across Ontario, spent a, a day in Ottawa, which was a, a very neat city, and went all the way over to Maine. Oh, and wow. a dear buddy of mine was getting married on the coast of Maine at the end of September. So that was kind of our, our destination. So we, we made it uh, to, a, to a place known as the Petit Manan National Wildlife Refuge. And his family has uh, a longstanding kind of lease on a, a, a sea cabin, so to speak, right on the coast there just outside of the refuge. Um, and it's it's like two peninsulas up along the coastline further north from uh, Acadia National Park. So just absolutely gorgeous and really fulfilling to get to see him and see that scenery and spend some time there. Um, and then basically we then from the end of September until the end of the year traveled down through New England, um, doing a lot of hiking in the White Mountains of New Hampshire and even in uh, western Maine and a lot of old haunts from my Appalachian Trail through hike days. 
um, got to revisit a lot of places that were really good memories. And then down into New York, and we spent close to two weeks in the Catskills, which was an area that I had visited, but not spent a significant amount of time in and done extensive exploration, enjoyed that. Visited some family in central Pennsylvania, and then spent about two weeks peak bagging in uh, really rural, rugged West Virginia, wow. um, and then made it home to visit friends and family at, at Christmas. And I've been to a few of those places that you're talking about, particularly Big Bend National Park. I took students down uh, canoeing Big Bend River. We went from Big Bend down to Laredo, uh, multi, multi-day canoe trip. And man, it is really hard to describe to people what that topography, geography, that whole area is like, unless you've, you've been there. But the Chihuahuan Desert is one of the most incredible places that I've, I think I've ever been personally in my life. It's That whole area is just quite remarkable. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, Big Bend, I think why we adore it is because it is it's three entirely separate landscapes. It is the river, right, which is hundreds of miles uh, and, and through really significant canyons that yes. I think most people don't realize how dramatic and deep and, and, and just – crazy awesome that they are um and then you got the chihuahuan desert which is is so expansive and has such uh a diversity of flora and fauna and and colors that change throughout the day and just true wild backcountry um and then you have the chiso mountains which is this this sky island rising out of the desert um and looks like the rocky mountains but rising out of this flat land with a bunch of cactus and all the cliffs and, and scenery that affords. So yeah, we uh, it's an it's definitely high on the list of our our favorite places. Oh, that's so cool, man! That is so cool. Well, I'm taking notes as we're kind of talking along here because I was explaining to you earlier before we started recording that this is my daughter's her her dream is to to do something like this, and her partner in crime is going to be my dad this summer, and so. They're taking his RV uh, out west. They're going to do some some traveling, and they're going to experience just as, as a micro level kind of what you're you're describing. So, man, I just it gets me pumped up. So, I've got some rapid fire questions for you, man. You ready? Sure. All right. With these questions, just whatever kind of comes top of mind to you, and there's just a few. So let's just kind of rip through them. What surprised you the most during this whole traveling? What are some of the biggest surprises to you? Uh, one thing that surprised me is um, how safe it is on the road, at least in our experience. I know that's not an absolute, and I, I say that, you know, trying and, and considering thinking very diligently not to be naive about that. We put a lot of time into uh, kind of shoring up our RV and putting literal cameras on the outside of it and on the inside of it and getting um, protective window treatments so that the windows couldn't be smashed. We couldn't be broken in because this was our home and all of these different theft deterrent things. And because we were going to be living on the road in places unfamiliar to us, but what we found, and I don't regret doing any of those things. I'm very glad to have them. They are an assurance. Absolutely. However, I've been very impressed uh, about how how safe it is out there in in most cases. We do a lot of camping on national forest and BLM land, a lot of boondocking off the grid since we have solar panels. So we're actually away from a whole lot of people 
a lot. And um, really the most dangerous thing out there isn't, isn't wildlife or weather. It's, it's sometimes other people. Mm. And we've uh, out, kind of outfitted ourselves to be in really remote locations. So we felt largely very, very safe. And even in some urban areas where we've definitely been on more on, on guard, uh, a lot more. I think we've been surprised at, you know, we're worried about this, but gosh, I, it's, it's going well and it's, it's fine. Now, again, I know it could only take one instance to, to have a change of tune about that, but I expected it to be much more of a thing. So definitely the safety on the road. I think another thing is how quickly we learned from our mistakes. I mentioned driving too far the first uh, couple of days, even logistics. Uh, we managed to um, set up our tow vehicle incorrectly on that long haul out to Colorado and run its battery dead. Oh, and no. then at one in the morning on the side of the interstate, you know, trying to, to jump it, suddenly have a, uh, an engine fire occur where, you know, at one in the morning where I'm sleepy, hooking up the jumper cables, cables Jeez. wrong. And uh, yeah, that, um, <laughs> and you know, having to get out the fire extinguisher, that's never <laughs> something you want to do, <laughs> especially when you're entirely self-contained and everything you owe, you know, this is all you've got, so it cannot burn down. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, um, I didn't mean to laugh, man. I guess you can laugh now. No, but... no, no, no. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, um, but but I guess like those experience learning from them and and being like, okay, this is this is serious and we gotta get this right. We gotta get our system dialed in. And um, some mistakes we can't afford to make again because this is our entire home on wheels and we've put a lot of, of time and energy into to making this work. And then I think to give you, I mean, there's at least 10 I could give you, but, but, if, uh, but if I can choose three, this, so those would be two and a, a third one and maybe the foremost would be despite having been at this a year and a half and seen so many parts of the country and had so deep of experiences um, in all those locations were in the same place as w before we started with that it, it was never enough concept the more places we visited the more we realized we want to see and to have other experiences in so it, it's like you travel all over the country and you think you're like oh put a checkbox in that state and put a checkbox in those parks and okay i've been there and done that so let's move on to the other stuff everywhere we've been we have had such uh, a great experience that we we want to return to and spend even more time and do different things and see different places hike other trails and paddle other rivers um so Despite having been at this a year and a half, our kind of wish list of destinations and experiences is longer now than when we left a year and a half back. I can believe that. Yeah, you just, sometimes you don't know what you don't know, and then you get there and you realize, man, there's so much more to see. And you've talked about that a couple of times. Even when we talked about, you know, the Big Bend area, there's some things, or excuse me, not Big Bend, but uh, Michigan. When you go up to the UP and, you know, uh, Mackinac Island, there's so many things that you can see. I mean, it's, you can spend a lifetime there and probably not see it all. Yeah, yeah. And and we can relate in Western North Carolina, right, Mike? I mean, there's yep. like, I've been exploring this region for two decades, yes. and I always still find more. And it's kind of like, gosh, there's places much grander and bigger, like in scale in other parts of the country. So, so yeah, at first I thought, how can this happen? And then I thought about Western North Carolina and I thought, oh, well, I'm not done exploring this region. Of course, I'm not going to be done exploring every other region. For real. Yeah, you know, you're right. 
All right. What about your biggest moment? Oh, biggest moment. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the picture kind of like the montage of all the highlights of our of our travel so far. And that's nearly impossible because there's there's so many. I would say there's there's a few kind of just iconic spots and, and places and moments where we were um, standing at the edge of the cliff at Horseshoe Bend of the Colorado River just south of uh, or in the Glen Canyon in Utah, Arizona area was just one of those. I had seen that picture so many times and standing there and seeing it in person, being able to photograph it myself was, w- w- was definitely kind of a surreal, like, wow, it, it does exist. And I'm here now. And, and I'm not just here now, but like this, this landscape right here now is, is, a, is, is part of my life. And I can make, I can, I can stay right here for as long as I want to. Other experiences, we had a, a hike through Buckskin Gulch, again, on the Arizona-Utah border in the kind of Vermilion Cliffs uh, National Monument area. Grand Staircase Escalante was just uh, causing our mind to explode. We're, we're hiking for miles and miles through what's one of the, the deeper slot canyons and longest slot canyons in the world, and the crazy colors we were seeing and we kept saying to each other that this this can't be a real thing Mm. um and then we were fortunate enough to get a a hallowed permit for the wave in arizona just the multicolored kind of rock formation that was really made famous probably two decades back by a windows background or or screensaver for like windows 95 or 98 or something like that and uh it it absolutely lived up to its its uh its billing and was just endlessly spectacular and then i I think like i can't i want to say in all those places i just mentioned but in in all of the other ones whether they were as spectacular or even if they were more mundane just kind of like the vision uh, as far as like the the amazingness of our experiences is just being able to stand or sit next to my wife Allison and and either hug her or just put my arm around her her my her put her arm around me and be in these places and have that connection together and experiencing them uh, together, uh, no matter what we're looking at and, and and knowing that, Hey, this is, this is what we're doing right now. And Mm -hmm. we can stay here and, and have this moment for as long as, as we want. So I think what drove us was the scenery and the adventure, but being able to have these experiences wherever they are and whatever it is, um, together in such a meaningful way is, is really what it has proven all about for me. And that is just wildly fulfilling. Wow. That's awesome. As I say, you know, that'll, that'll preach. That's one of the things you can say, I can hang my hat on that one thing and just say, that's it. That's enough. This is a great episode. He lived the greatest life with his wife, Allison, hanging on to every moment. That's, that's, <laughs> that's so cool, dude. All right. But, so, hey, we always say, and I mean, we're really big on this, and because it's we really believe it, 
Um, we always say that we're just getting started oh, I love and it. and we really are. We set out to do this. We left careers that we adored and a, and a really good life to kind of change things up. So we said that we were going to do it for at least five years. And, and I absolutely believe we will, if not longer. So with that in mind, the best is yet to come. And, and we really are just getting started. All right. Not to be a Debbie Downer, but your biggest letdown so far. Biggest letdown. I would say red tape and logistical challenges related to parks and campgrounds and permits. So particularly with the COVID era, um, and I know this more than anybody before, uh, we we left uh, several months into COVID. And so I was still trails director at Conserving Carolina, and I was managing our Hickory Nut Gorge trails, which were getting absolutely hammered and overrun. And we were seeing 20, 30 infold increase in the amount of people visiting these places. And that's, it's pretty cool, right? That's why we protected this land and why we built them. We want as many people possible to enjoy these experiences and, and have a deep connection with the the natural world but a whole lot of people and it's no it's all of our fault but it's nobody's fault because nobody's like yeah i'm gonna go be a part of a crowd right it's and we always kind of joke when we're annoyed by crowds we say oh you hate crowds you are crowds uh, <laughs> meaning you, you can not be the crowds if you really try hard yeah, which is which is good really point. what we do so but I think really fueled by COVID, particularly the National Park Service and, and a little bit the National Forest Service, they, they've had to adapt as land managers. Like I said, I can appreciate it. I mean, we closed our trails down for a couple of weeks and a lot of people got grumpy and they're like, well, you know, you can't get COVID out in the open air. And, and I mean, sure, they're right, right? It's not why we closed them down. We closed them down because they were getting just drilled yeah. and just destroyed but just by sheer numbers, not, yeah. not even anybody doing anything malicious so it's it's challenging for these agencies to manage it and i i really don't fault them for their decisions um, however their decisions actually have a little bit pigeonholed um allison and i and and those who do the full-time lifestyle um into a more challenging scenario where most national parks for campgrounds for high use areas you know, whether that's like the wave or climbing half dome or even wanting to raft a river are, are going to a permit and a reservation system in advance. Um, and this is challenging for us because living this lifestyle full time, we don't necessarily plan every single day in advance and be like, OK, we're going to be here now we're going to be here then and then two weeks from now we're going to be right here it, it's not like that i mean sometimes the weather's bad and uh, we take a day off and sometimes we decide to spend two three five times longer in a location than we anticipated and that's the beauty of it but that does not allow you to fit the system very well of reservations and permits of course, I get it. Most people are planning their vacation. They know when their vacation and their time off is. So that's the dates they want to go for. And so the system is actually set up to, to do the most good for the most people. But it does kind of screw us over a little bit because we can't just show up anymore at a at a particular destination, particularly more, the more iconic national parks. And uh, so many parks and agencies have done away with first come first serve, which is something we really believe in because 
we're the the folks who will put in the time and the effort to to get that first come first serve one because we want it and two because we have the time but if there's no first come first serve if the per, only the folks who uh, had this planned literally 12 months in advance, which, I mean, that blows my mind living the lifestyle we do now. So I think that is the biggest disappointment is the logistical challenges we face related to everybody. No one hates or no one uh, enjoys crowds, but it's not so much the crowds that bother us, but it's the logistical hurdles uh, as a result of the just huge influx of interest in the outdoors. Again, a good thing, but bad for when the rubber meets the road and we want to go to a place and we can't get in. Yeah. And that's going to be an interesting topic, I think, as we move forward over the next foreseeable future. I don't know how many years, but the foreseeable future. I know there's an outdoor economy conference that's coming up, and one of the, the topics there that will be discussed and one of the tracks, I guess you could say, is about, I don't know exactly how they've titled it. I forget. I've read it, but it's all about responsible tourism. And it's great that you have so many people that are interested in, and even our podcast is, is, is focused on getting people out, but there's also a responsible way to do it. And there's also results of the overcrowding and the overreach and, and those sorts of things too. So it, it's a thing. I mean, it's, and, and you're living it more than most because it's not just a thing, but you're planning your literally your, your travels and your life around it. So, so I get that. All right. So I know that you're in the RV, but I also know that you spend a lot of time in the outdoors and your backpack and so forth. So, um, the meals, uh, certainly you haven't been cooking all these meals inside the RV. Certainly some, some things that you you prepare outside as well, I would imagine. So, <laughs> well, I'm probably going to disappoint you, Mike. Um, so my, my wife, Alison is an amazing cook, amazing chef. And not just amazing in the deliciousness of the meal she prepares, but she's also extremely resourceful. So she has adapted to um, a very, very small kitchen that is, you know, the entirety of the kitchen, stove, sink, and the 18 inches of counter space that we have, or like a total of three square feet, um, <laughs> has managed to uh make some absolutely amazing meals in in the rv we were just actually recently talking about we we've got like a coleman two burner kind of tabletop grill that we'll put on a picnic table or put on the ground when we're camping somewhere out of doors but recently we were like oh the next time we're home should we leave that at home because we we just really do most everything inside the even if we're enjoying the meal outside um, we still do it in, in, uh, in, inside the RV. So she is just so resourceful and just impressive in her culinary ability, um, adapted to that small space. But one thing I will say, you know, that, that would be, I think, potentially helpful for, for your listeners and anybody interested in, in kind of whether it be the full lifestyle or doing it for a summer or your daughter or something is when we get to some locations, I mean, typically when we, whether we come home to Asheville and we're in our house for a couple weeks um, or we're visiting friends and family at their home, or for instance, we, um, met at a we we got an airbnb house together and met there in san diego when her parents visited those locations when there's the ability to have a bigger kitchen and a, a, a kind of an unlimited power supply allison will do a lot of cooking and then she will freeze them uh, the meals 
in freezer Ziploc bags and um, she'll lay them out on a cookie sheet after cooking them, put them in the bag and then freeze them on that cookie sheet so that they freeze basically in the shape of a book. And as you can imagine, our refrigerator and RV is not huge. Our our RV is not a large RV. So it's, it's a tiny little refrigerator. It's not too much. It's a little bit bigger than maybe the college dorm room refrigerator, but not, not much. So she will literally pack the freezer side to side and top to bottom, uh, maximizing the space with these cooked meals from when she has an actual kitchen. So, uh, that, that's kind of been our, our secret. Now we do do a lot of backpacking and, and we we've been backpacking now almost 20 years and we are absolutely getting lazier <laughs> when it comes to backpacking. And I, and, and I, I, I have no shame about that. We, we now will buy, they're expensive, but we'll, we'll buy the mountain house meals because they're delicious and they're easy. So when we go out deep into the back country and we don't have the RV, we're doing mountain house and just heating up water and pouring it in there uh, because we'd rather focus our time on the adventure itself. But in the RV, uh, yeah, Allison has been amazing at not only maximizing that space to make some amazing meals, but whenever we're in a location to try to make a ton of really amazing uh, dinners or lunches and um, and squirrel them away in the freezer in a very space-efficient manner. Okay, well, that's smart. And actually, it leads me to one of my last questions was, talking about some of the the biggest pieces of advice for other people who are contemplating this this type of a lifestyle. And you've touched on some of those, and I think that that's a great sort of lead-in, the way that you have packaged the food into the freezer. And Because, yes, space is very, very limited in those. It's nice to have, but it's also limited at the same time. It's not like having the full-size you know, refrigerator in, in your house. So what would be some of the other biggest pieces of advice? I would say that... Going slow and taking your time is one big piece of advice. Um, we really try to focus on having a, a little bit of a slower pace and having meaningful experiences in the places that, that we find that we really enjoy. Um, but that being said, we, uh, relatively speaking, it sometimes still feels like we're moving at a, a blistering pace. Definitely not like we were in the road trip days every summer, um, but every place we leave, it, we definitely feel longing of uh, maybe not complete contentness. So, you know, I think we even need to take my own advice here is is to is to even slow down more. So when you leave full time in an RV and, and go out and explore the country, the, the whole country is, you know, the, the quote unquote world is your oyster. Uh, you can go everywhere and anywhere, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean you should all right away exactly as quick as, as you can, because the, the most fulfilling experiences that we've had have been where we've really taken our time and been like, yeah, let's just be here. Let's not plan an epic arduous hike today. Let's hike just a mile or two and set up a hammock at this spectacular location, or let's just go sit on the sandy beach of a a river. Let's go take a fun paddle. And those might not be as marquee as, as, as some of those highlights I mentioned to you, like a horseshoe band or a, or the wave, but they have been 
equally as impactful. So spending time where you visit, going slow, and and really relishing the moment is is probably the biggest advice that I have. I think that's big advice. And, you know, the interesting thing is that's transcendent. That could be RV life. That can be us living here. That could be going on vacation with a family. I mean, literally, brother, you, you really kind of summed up, I think, one of some of the, the best advice you can get. Just take it in stride, take in the moments, drink in the moments, and, and don't rush through them. Be present is what I hear you saying. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. So obviously you have prepared, you and Allison have, have had a plan, you've prepared, you have streams of income, and you've been successful uh, author and consultant and those sorts of things. But one of the things I think is really important for maybe a lot of people who are contemplating this to understand that um, even as successful as all that is, unless you've just inherited millions and millions and millions and there is, <laughs> you know, infinitum supply of cash. I mean, even yourself, you've shared with me that, you know, um, it, the burn rate can be pretty high, especially when we talk about gas prices, where they are now and, and just the way to, you know, doing this lifestyle in general. So what advice would you have for people who are really kind of planning this and say, hey, you know what, I want to do this, but they may not really understand fully what the costs are, not just for going from here to there with gas, but the wear and tear on your vehicle, the preparation of your vehicle, and and, and all the other things that are involved. Um, there has to be a financial consideration to all this, not just a, a pipe dream. Yeah, absolutely. So we before we set out on the road, we for for that two year period, we we focused on paying off our debts and also putting money into savings um, because we knew that unexpected things would pop up. And so I think the the first answer to the question is is just a ton of preparation is trying to prepare for all the things that could go wrong. And so for us a little bit, that was evaluating our RV and what we thought would break and what we need to replace ahead of time. Our energy needs with the solar panels and lithium batteries of, of what we thought would be um, sufficient and then really making sure that um, we we didn't want to go in on the expense that, that we ended up doing, which we ended up getting six solar panels of 200 watts a piece, so 1,200 watts of solar and four lithium batteries at 100 amp hours a piece, so 400 amp hours. And that's a, a pretty, I think, modest system. Um, a lot of people get by on less, and then many people have actually <laughs> – two, three times that. Um, but for us, like we occasionally still run out of energy, particularly when the days are short and the solar panels aren't working or a cloudy day. So we, I think the, the summation of that would be to, to try to forecast some of those expenses up front. It's, it's an easier pill to swallow for those expenses before we left on the road than when we're on the road and they're unexpected. Mm. Um, and I think that has served us well. Now, has everything gone perfectly and have we had uh, no, and have we had you know zero expenses unexpected on the road? No, those, those have occurred. We learned from our friends, Ching and Jared to, to, to take every, every kind of last tool that you can find and, uh, to to fix things and learning to become self-sufficient. I mean, I, I I feel like YouTube is is 
both my and Allison's biggest teacher. We, it's like somebody will tell you how to do something, how how to fix something on on YouTube, no no matter what. It's almost like a given, which is so so helpful. Sure enough, we set out and we were kind of trying to come up with a number of what we thought we would spend on the road. And I had I had literally heard the advice of like whatever you think you're going to spend on the road like per month double it and i and i laughed it off and and honest to god it's the truth mm. it really is so with that in mind we've had to to be creative in in income streams um and i i think that'd be my kind of final piece of advice is to be creative in income streams like anybody can actually do this and particularly in the COVID era where there's so much remote work and and the concept of working remotely is no longer kind of thought of as just something a few of the you know big tech companies do yeah um is i think there's a lot of opportunities out there so for example my wife and i we make some of our income from airbnb being our home here in Asheville while we're on the road so we didn't a lot of folks will get rid of their home entirely and that's that's a way they create income is to sell their home and then use that kind of as their savings on the road and that is one way to do that we didn't want to do that because we eventually want to come back to western north carolina but we were able to monetize our home and serve as income on the road and so that's uh, i know airbnb is pretty commonplace now but not that long ago it was when we told people we did airbnb in our home like we got a lot of raised eyebrows so <laughs> in in a way that's still still remains kind of a creative approach and and a lot of people can do it and i will say for that you don't need a big fancy bells and whistles house or room in fact we are we kind of pride ourselves in being the more economical option for folks who visit Asheville. Asheville was tourism as its cash crop these days. And we are sympathetic to travelers like we are and used to be when we were road tripping. We're looking for just a, a clean, safe place to lay our head. And we don't need all the fancy amenities. In fact, we'd rather not have them because we don't want to spend a lot of money. So we do a lot of our Airbnb business just in volume and not not on kind of this high-end fancy level um, and then piecing together other things so when Allison and I come home Allison goes back to to her school and substitute teaches and earns some income that way and and reconnects with her colleagues and students when I'm back in town I I work for the land conservancy in places in the field that I can't get to when I'm on the road. I still work remotely for Conserving Carolina a handful of hours a week and both find that very fulfilling, but it, it is also nice to, to have it as a consistent income source. So I think that works out really well. I, I think I can, my continued involvement with projects I've been involved with for so long can still benefit the organization. It still gives me the fulfillment from working on those things that are really important to me and then it is an income stream a little bit of an income stream on the side and then occasionally i come home throughout the year and um, consult for for different landscape architecture firms and and clients to do trail design and and trail development and project management so it's really a big hodgepodge uh and then there was the the book that i wrote and uh, nobody makes money writing books you lose money <laughs> writing books but um occasionally i'll somebody will 
stumble upon my website and and buy my book for 30 bucks and it'll it'll make my day because it's it's i get to I, I get to I get to keep uh, about twelve dollars of that, and it, uh, something about it is extremely <laughs> rewarding uh, when I can get twelve dollars for something I put several thousands of hours into. <laughs> right, right, that's right. And had a whole career. Well, I wouldn't even say it's a career change; it's a career miss. I mean, you didn't go into the medicine like you were going to. You just started going into uh, other ways and, and and spending your time in the outdoors and preserving outdoor towers, outdoor fire lookout towers. So, um, dude, it is so hard for me to believe yet not hard for me to believe that we've been on here for about an hour now, (laughs) but man, thanks for taking the time to share a little bit about the lifestyle that you're in. I know that it is on a lot of people's mind. And even if they don't do it, even if they can't pack up and go and do the things that you're doing, there's still ways that people can get in vans. They can still, you know, do short trips of this just as nobody, you know, a lot of people can't hike the entire AT as you did, but they can hike at this thing in sections. So there's, I think that there's a lot of information that people can take from this and the, the advice and, and the lessons that you've learned and really benefit from it, whether you're going to do it full time or whether you're going to be a weekend warrior. I really do. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks. I appreciate all that. And when Allison and I first started on the road, we, we kind of did so with a bit of anonymity and we, we weren't super public about what we were doing. And now that we've been on the road for a year and a half, there's a lot of folks who are really interested in, in our travels. And we find that really flattering. And it's, it's a way to help stay connected, especially to, to our region. So we have recently put up a website called adventuresahead.net. We're still developing it, but it'll, it'll eventually get even more filled out. But it's adventuresahead.net. Awesome. That's awesome. And we'll have a link in the show notes too. So well, Peter, listen, brother, thanks for your time. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Hey, you bet. Thanks again, Mike. I can't wait to be back. In the mid-1970s, my family left our home on the southwest coast of Spain in our Volkswagen van, and we embarked on a 30-day journey throughout Europe and North Africa. My dad outfitted the van with a custom rear door tent, roof rack, and storage box. We installed electricity for a small refrigerator, and he mapped out a trip of a lifetime. We rode gondolas in Venice, camels in Morocco. We met Air Force One in the tarmac in Frankfurt, Germany. We cruised the canals in Amsterdam, circumnavigated the Rock of Gibraltar, and toured castles in Germany, Austria, and Italy. 40 years later, this is still one of the most memorable experiences of my lifetime. I still remember sitting shotgun on the Autobahn of Germany, feeling like the whole world was ours to explore. As a young kid, I had no idea that my parents had likely spent hours planning our route budgeting stops, and making a bucket list of things to see and explore. To me, each day was just a new adventure, and I was along for the ride without a care in the world and full of childlike wonder. I am eternally grateful for that experience. So when Peter told me he and Allison's five-year plan to tour the U.S., I had somewhat of a context and a mental framework for what they were doing and getting to experience. I cannot overstate how impressed I am with their intentionality, planning, and fiscal responsibility that has allowed Peter and Allison to live this amazing lifestyle together. We intended to talk more about Peter's trail design work for Conserving Carolina and Hickory Nut Gorge, but we just ran out of time. So, in our next episode, Peter and I sit down to discuss being named a two-time nationally award-winning trail designer, the Hickory Nut Gorge State Trail, which when completed will include over 130 miles of trails in the gorge, and his work on the Wildcat Trail and Wee Patch Mountain Trail. You don't want to miss this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode. 
If you really enjoyed it, please consider leaving us a review. It truly helps us to reach more people. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you can stay up to date with the latest episodes as they drop. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and feel free to message me or drop me an email at mike at explorationlocal.com. Some of our future episodes are a direct result of listener suggestions. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. And as always, I encourage you to wander far, but explore local.